Good morning. Praise the Lord for the wonderful worship together. Uh, such a delight, such a delight to be back with you and to see God at work continually in this place. Uh, it's been a, a very important uh, place and uh, time in my wife and my life, and uh, so it's just a joy to see God's work continue. Uh, just a brief word uh, about uh, my ministry and my burden um, that I want to uh, share with you briefly, and then we'll uh, pray and get into God's word. Um, I represent Baptist Mid-Missions. Baptist Mid-Missions is a mission agency, a servant to the local church, uh, and we are thrilled to be able to come alongside churches like Colonial to help them send their their folks to uh, the mission fields of the world, including uh, North America and the U- United States. And so it's, it's just a, a wonderful privilege that I have to walk alongside of people that are being sent uh, to help them with the onboarding process, becoming a missionary and preparing for the mission field, uh, all the way through that support raising process and that ministry of, uh, of deputation, and then sending them off to the, the fields of the world. So that's my role. Um, my wife, Becky, uh, enjoys helping me as, as time would allow. She has many things that she does back home in Ohio. And we have two kids, uh, Sam and Kara. I have a college student now, uh, for those who remember me when I was newly married and wet behind the ears. Um, still feel like that, but anyway, uh, God's blessing in our family. But that's my role in my ministry, and I'd love to talk to any of you who are interested in uh, making some connection with perhaps some of our ministries on the fields uh, around the world and uh, providing some of those connections, just talking through some of your thoughts and, and, uh, and questions related to missions. I'd be, would love to do that. One of the things that we are burdened to um, communicate wherever we go is the incredible importance of prayer. Uh, Samuel Zwamer, a uh, famous missionary to uh, the Arab nations, said this, Missions is the history of answered prayer. Uh, and I would just remind you of the essential nature of prayer in all that we do, right? And, and I appreciate that emphasis here, even in your service and in your, uh, in your covenant uh, as well. But uh, when we think about missions, praying for missions, and praying for harvest laborers, I would remind you of Matthew nine thirty eight. As Jesus says, the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few, he then turns and says, therefore, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest fields. And so we have um, sought to remind people about that, encourage people to pray that daily. Maybe you want to even use Matthew 9.38 as a little you know, tool to remember at 9.38, set your alarm, uh, pray at 9.38 every day. Or maybe you like Luke 10.2, which says pretty much the same thing, and maybe 10.02 works better for you. So set an alarm for 10.02 uh, morning or night. Maybe night is a, is a little late for most of us, but uh, and, and pray. Pray at that time that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. And uh, as a tool to help you in that, we have provided um, a 30-day prayer guide uh, that just gives you some more ideas of ways to pray, um, areas of the world to pray for, um, different aspects of our, uh, our life and, and the, the, the um, culture of our, of our churches and the needs in our own country uh, related to our churches, that God would strengthen our churches, our Bible colleges and seminaries and various things like that. So it's a 30-day prayer guide, and I don't have any of them with me, but we have now an app uh, on the of any, you know, application store, whether that's Apple or, or Google Play, you can find that. It's called Pray 938. 
So search for that, download it, and uh, use that 30-day prayer guide. And you can you know, use it every month, or you can take a month off and come back to it uh, as far as using the guide. But I would encourage you to check that out and, and use that as a tool to help you in your prayers. Uh, you can even set a notification at 9.38 to uh, remind you to do that. So I wanted to mention that. Um, I'm around this morning. I'll be um, here for the ABS time and then probably a little bit after that. So if you want to try to track me down, I'd love to chat with you. If you have any personal conversation you'd like to have with me or if you'd like to contact me after today, you can talk to Dan Seeley and he has my contact information. I'd love that. I really would enjoy uh, connecting with you. Can we pray together before we get into the scripture? Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this morning ready to hear from you, and we're so thankful for the Word of God. Uh, would you uh, illuminate our hearts and minds as we uh, look into your Word this morning, and may your Holy Spirit just guide us in applying it in the various ways, in the various uh, struggles that each of us have, uh, where the, the Word of God will uh, will apply to us in, in various sins and struggles and mindsets that we may be thinking through. Uh, most of all, Lord, I pray that you will help us to worship you and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ this morning in our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 4 is where we'll be reading and, and discussing this scripture and re-examining uh, just a part of this incredible uh, chapter in this incredible situation of Jesus uh, coming in contact with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and the things that follow there. Pastor Brent uh, highlighted in Isaiah 1 the uh, tendency that we have toward presumption. I appreciated that uh, emphasis. And in John four twenty seven through 38, it's not necessarily about our tendency to presume upon the Lord, but our tendency to be preoccupied. What does it mean to be consumed with something, to have passion for something? And in the words of my son, to be obsessed with something. Um, technology can consume us, take our attention, take our, our, our mind and our heart constantly. Maybe it's video games, maybe it's social media, and, and here I'm starting to get into an area that I know very little about, but I understand in certain social media applications there is a, uh, there is a benefit somehow, or there is a, uh, somehow people are compelled to report in, right, keep up a streak, right, daily. I think it's Snapchat. Forgive me those of you who use it and are laughing at me right now. I have no idea. But you have to keep up the streak, right? And I think you get this, like, fire, this flame next to your name or something. I don't see too many laughs, so I'm probably completely irrelevant. Maybe I'm 10 years old by now trying to talk about this. But these things can, can obsess our minds, right? Can preoccupy us. Maybe it's, um, like many, you know, getting to be the first in line to get the newest model of your favorite smartphone or some other um, product that you've been waiting to get, or, or some movie that you've been waiting to see. Hobbies consume people. Relaxation uh, consumes people. You know, it's easy to become consumed with all the wrong things, leading us to indifference about the things that really matter, namely the will of God, the will of the Father. Jesus could never be 
accused of being indifferent to the needs around him because of some selfish disposition or some temporary desire. In the account here of the Samaritan woman in John 4, we see a great remedy uh, for our indifference to the will of the Father, to God's mission. Uh, A great remedy. So we'll set the stage first of all, and then we'll end up reading verses 27 and following. Uh, In John 4, 1 through 26, the context here is that of Uh, The Pharisees begin to notice the fruit of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus decides to leave Judea, being under divine obligation. Uh, He says it is necessary, it was necessary to go through Samaria, chapter 4, verse 4. And then Jesus meets the Samaritan woman and talks to her about living water. He says, I can give you living water so that you will not thirst again. And the climax, I'd say, of these verses is verse 26, John 4, 26, where Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He reveals to her that he is indeed the Messiah. Uh, this, is, this is kind of my favorite part of, of that, the development of that story with the Samaritan woman. It's, it's kind of fun to, to watch the back and forth and to, to see, you know, he means something, she thinks he means one thing, and it continues on. It's similar to his interaction with Nicodemus in chapter 3 in that way. And then he says to her, uh, he, he just, which is, is uncommon, really, for Jesus to, to just reveal who he is. In fact, he, he oftentimes discourages his disciples from spreading the word too soon about his uh, being the Messiah. And he says to her, I who speak to you am he. He just reveals it to her right there. Uh, What an incredible moment for this woman. And what an incredible moment to read about Jesus revealing himself to be the Messiah. But then we come to verse 27, and this is where I'd like to focus our attention. Let's read verses 27 through uh, verse 30 for right now. It says in verse 27, just then his disciples came back. Now, we learned earlier in the chapter that they had gone to get food. In verse 27, the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So let's just pause for a moment to consider the disciples' confusion. I'm, I'm with them. I, I would have been confused. I would have been a little disoriented. Uh, they are confused, evidently, that Jesus, in what Jesus is doing. Uh, Jesus was doing the culturally unexpected and really unacceptable in talking to a woman in the first place, but particularly a Samaritan woman. We're told in verse 9, if you'll look back there with me, that even the woman is, is shocked that this Jewish man is talking to her. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then it gives that little parenthetical statement, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So the disciples are probably just shocked at what they see happening. However, Jesus' mission transcends cultural norms. 
a lesson that the disciples were just starting to learn. And as we follow their journey right into the book of Acts and further, we see that they get this and they embrace it. The application for us is that no matter what the culture dictates, maybe it's our own family culture or our background or or our current world of influence, no matter what our culture dictates or even legislates, ultimately every person has a soul that will live forever somewhere. We must speak as Christ does here. We must love as Christ loves, as God loves. So the disciples are confused, but then I, I think really we see that they are, they, they seem to be indifferent to what is happening. We don't know why they didn't speak. Maybe they themselves wouldn't speak to a Samaritan woman. Maybe they were simply preoccupied. It seems their silence though further emphasizes or, or illustrates how disconnected they were to the mission of Christ. And then we read verse 31, and we find out more. It says there, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So, without going too far in this uh, analogy, it seems that the disciples had a temporal mindset. Whatever that they were thinking about, and, and for whatever reason they did not speak, it's clear that they were preoccupied with one thing. Food. Right? And can we blame them? I know I can't. I'm often thinking about food. Uh, I'm thankful that you all have an earlier service because that way you're not sitting there, you know, with your bellies grumbling unless you miss breakfast. Um, But we're preoccupied so often with things like food. We're so captivated by the temporary pleasure uh, of food. And, And so much of our culture is centered around food. We love food. And while it can often be a wonderful medium through which we build relationships and reach people, and and it's a a wonderful gift from God, right? We can all agree to that, that food is a a wonderful thing, and it's a wonderful tool to sit down at meal with someone and reach them and to get to know them. But the reason that it comes up here is that it represents the tendency that is ours to think primarily about our physical needs and appetites, passing needs, and even passing pleasures, While we're on that topic, think about entertainment. Being entertained can capture our heart and mind as well. Taking in media, getting a sensation of pleasure, of joy, of of engagement in a story or in a moment. But is it lasting? Is it that which should drive us through every day just to get to that moment of fleeting pleasure? So the main application in this kind of this setup to the story or, or to the lesson that he's going to teach the disciples is that we avoid indifference by being spiritually minded. The danger is that we get so focused on the physical that we miss what God wants to teach us spiritually. Or we allow other priorities to take precedence over his priorities. Other priorities not as important as the spiritual work that God wants to do in us and through us. We're going to see that, that Jesus was seeking that they would take part in his mission, that, he, that they would take part in his sharing the love of God with these people, but at first they weren't either weren't willing or were just preoccupied. You know, perhaps a helpful exercise would be to list the top five things that take your time throughout the week. Now, 
we wouldn't include, you know, those 40 hours or for some of you 50, 60 hours at your employer. Uh, but those things that take your time, the, the top five things that take your time and take your attention throughout any given week. Then note next to each of those, uh, what, why is that a priority? I'm not here to judge your list and judge whether that's a priority or not. I think it's just a helpful kind of self-examining exercise. Is the motive physical or spiritual? How do these priorities rank in the perspective of eternity? Now, I would also just say, as you uh, seminary students and other high school students and and uh, college students are in the room, you know, I know that maybe what you're thinking, you know, yeah, a thousand pages, you know, per week, you know, that certainly there are other priorities that are greater than that, or uh, you algebra students or you geometry students, and I'm not even going to try to talk about what you study because I don't know those things very well, but you're just saying, yeah, this, this stuff doesn't rank in perspective of eternity, right? Well, I would just encourage you that Jesus, it says, grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There is a, a, a importance for learning. There is a season of, of being a student that is important for our preparation for life and so forth. But in contrast to the disciples, the woman, this Samaritan woman, this godless woman, this, this, uh, this immoral woman, that as we have learned in the first part of chapter 4, she acts to the contrary. In verses 28 and 30, it says that she left all to witness to Jesus. She was eager to tell of Christ. She engaged those. Think about this. She engaged those. I'm sorry if, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the first part of John 4, um, you might not completely follow what I'm saying here, but this is an adulterous woman, right, that Jesus meets. He, he reveals that he knows everything about her, right, and that he is the Christ. So she's, she's moved to, uh, to, to believe in him and to tell others about him. And, and, you know, we assume there's, there's a level of, of her admitting her need and her sin and so forth. So, Consider this, she engaged those back in, their vi- in the village that she had reason to avoid. She engaged them with openness and vulnerability. He told me everything I ever did. And she witnessed for Christ uh, in a way that demonstrates their, the, the disciples just not getting, you know, what Jesus was all about. Being spiritually minded keeps our hearts connected to eternal truth. The end of all things is at hand, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 7. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. How can we remain indifferent if we, think of, if, if we fail to think of each one around us as a soul in need of the good news of Christ? What preoccupations in your life keep you from being spiritually minded? What things do we focus on too much that contribute to our being indifferent to the spiritual realities of people around us. Moving forward in this teaching, in verses 31 through 34, we see Christ's primary teaching. There is a greater purpose for which to live. Again, back in in chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is about putting our passions and priorities in the proper order. Jesus reveals his priorities. 
Keep in mind that he was probably very thirsty and very hungry. This was in the middle of a rigorous journey. He had traveled in that day uh, uh, through mountains and, and Sychar, where this uh, situation takes place in Samaria, was about 40 miles from Jerusalem. Uh, this was a long journey that he was in the middle of, and, and therefore weary and tired, needing drink, needing something to eat. But life is more than food. Man cannot live by bread alone. Do these words remind you of some other passage? Let's look over at Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 4, uh, it says in, in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And get this, think about the, the physical circumstances in which Christ is, is experiencing this. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. So the, the main application here in this section is that we avoid indifference by making God's will that which consumes our heart and mind. Man focuses on the natural world. We probably would have responded the same way, even the most spiritual of us. But Jesus uses this opportunity to teach a spiritual lesson and reveal our earthly mindset, as he does so often in the Gospel of John with Nicodemus, with the woman, uh, also later on with the crowd in John 6. If someone described you by your passions, what would they say? It's an interesting question. What are you passionate about? Some of us might say, well, I don't know. I don't really feel passionate about much of anything. Perhaps it's, it's uh, just self-preservation. Perhaps it's just comfort. Perhaps it's just relaxation. Or perhaps it's some other hobby or some other uh, thing that you're just always thinking about and talking about. Perhaps it's even your work. Jesus had a God focus. He was completely consumed with submitting to and obeying God's commands. God's will and work in the world. God's word were the passion of Jesus' life. He knew the word. He, he, he hungered after the word in such a way that it, it was his meat. It was his food. It was that which sustained him. It brought him satisfaction. John six thirty eight says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Luke twenty two forty two. Not my will, but yours be done, he cries and prays in the garden. Like our Lord, we Christians must be consumed with God's mission as well. The disciples, like us, were preoccupied with the physical. Their priorities needed refining. And we must heed the teaching of Christ, that God's word and work must come before all things. Jesus was satisfied with doing God's will more than he was with eating or drinking or resting. This is convicting to me. If I'm tired, wow, 
I, I should just start playing audio Bible at about 9 o'clock every evening just to fill my heart with, with the Word of God because I can get grumpy. I can get, you know, pretty selfish. Maybe you're like that. Our priorities need to be refined. Jesus was satisfied with doing God's will more than he was in, the, in serving his physical body. Where do we turn for, to for satisfaction? What about when we're physically drained? Where do we turn? We want to do what we want. We want to do our will. In fact, I would say it's the quote-unquote gospel of our age or the message of our moment. What? Be true to yourself. You be you. Do what you want. Get what you want. Your will. Your will. Not what? The Father's will. However, the Lord teaches us otherwise. We must be consumed with God's will. What are our priorities? Is your life directed at all by God's word? Are you participating in God's mission of reaching lost souls with the message of Christ? And what changes ought we to make in light of our answers to those questions? You say, well, Travis, that's Jesus we're talking about. Uh, This is the Son of God. Right, who says, my meat is to do the will of the one who sent me. But as, as a man, Jesus is our example. He's fully God, fully man. How can we be like Jesus with our hearts and minds focused on God's will? You know, this type of mindset is, is taught and directed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, as 1 Corinthians 2 talks about. We need God's help. We need to call out to Him and ask Him to give us that help. So, As we move further, we see now the lesson of the harvest in verses 35 and following. So going back to the story, the woman leaves uh, Jesus. She tells the townspeople about him, and the townspeople come to Jesus. This is a wonderful uh, development and and, and an example of of what the mission of the church uh, will be as Christ ascends into heaven. Meanwhile, Jesus teaches the disciples this lesson. And first the lesson is, my food is to do God's will. But being consumed with God's will and work means particularly in this passage, as I said earlier, participating in the harvest. He wants them to join him in his mission. He takes the lesson further. Read verse 35. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." This is about putting our passions, not, we, we learned about putting our passions in the right order. Next, it's about putting your passions, right passions, to work. So first, first two applications are that we avoid indifference by being spiritually minded. Next, we avoid indifference by uh, making God's will that which consumes us in our heart and minds. And then third application here is that we avoid indifference by seeing and participating in God's work. Jesus introduces a physical illustration to illustrate 
a heavenly lesson. Notice the three times he commands them to do something with their eyes. He says, look, where we're down here in verse um, 30, yeah, in the second half of verse 35, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. See, or look on the fields, look intently as the crowd of Samaritans. Imagine this, the crowd from the village. You know, the, the, the well is out on the outer, Jacob's well, out on the outside of Sychar, and the woman goes back into the village, tells them about him, and they're on their way, coming out to meet him, and he says, look, the fields are white. Pay attention you know, I, maybe I should just speak for myself, but we men tend to, uh, to see in a way that perhaps isn't always really seeing, right? Your wife says, can you grab me that can of cream of mushroom, right, in the pantry? And you're like, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't think we have any. I don't see it, right? And, and you're like, no, I just got it. I just did the pickup, you know, at Walmart, and it's in there. I got three cans, you're right? And you're like, it's not here, honey. She goes in and looks and finds it right away, right? Uh, and so that maybe is an illustration of what it is for us when, when God is at work, when he is doing something, and he says, look to the field, see, open your eyes, and we don't see it. We need to look harder. We need to look past what we see on the outside of people and understand their real need. The harvest is white. Now is the time to work and gather fruit. This is illustrated in the woman and how she responded to the truth Jesus taught her. It's also illustrated by that crowd that's coming eager to meet him. The disciples needed to open their eyes to what was happening around them. That was much more important than their physical hunger or their own misgivings about being in Samaria. So also we Christians must recognize the immediacy and urgency of the harvest. That is so much more important than fill in the blank. We need to train our eyes and our hearts to start seeing circumstances around us as opportunities. This, this becomes convicting when we, when we think about some of the cultural trends and, and societal developments around us that make us quite uncomfortable. Rather than bemoaning those things and, and, and running and hiding, we ought to look at them as opportunities. Open our eyes. See that the harvest is white. Because Jesus sees the opportunity to share the good news with souls ready to hear of God's saving grace, many believed. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. It goes on to tell us how he spent days with them uh, and climaxing in verse 42 when it says, They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. A great harvest was reaped. Jesus, back in our passage here, verse 36, Jesus is the reaper or the harvester in this story. He is active. He is not waiting around for the harvest to come. He's already here and he's already working. So the application for the disciples and us is to join in God's work. 
participate in what he is doing. You know, the principle of John 20, 21 is seen here as well. In verse 34, uh, Jesus says, For he whom God has sent... Uh, sorry, I'm in chapter 3. Back in... that happened to have the word sent in it as well. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, back in chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said uh, to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. So he is sent... And then down in verse 38, he says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. As the Father has sent him, so he has sent us. Therefore, being sent ones, we must be involved in earning wages or eternal rewards, picking the ripe fruit of souls for the kingdom. So the building questions here are, have you been thinking spiritually about the world? Secondly, are you consumed with doing God's will? Third, are you seeing and participating in God's important work of getting, get, gathering the harvest of souls? A further encouragement uh, to those involved in reaping the fruit of souls for eternal life is that for the most part, our harvesting is dependent on the sowing of others. The disciples and even Jesus were reaping where John the Baptist sowed. We come into people's lives as maybe the second or third or fourth person to share spiritual truth with them. And that's how it normally goes. Think about your own testimony. This is how God works. We must be faithful to share as only God knows when a person will believe. And the, the reaping and the, the, the picking of that fruit is his work. And as we, are, as we are seeing clearly what God wants us to, wants to do in people's hearts, and as we participate in that work by sharing Christ with them, there will be rejoicing, as he says in verse 36. There is rejoicing on earth when God saves someone, and when that which has been sown comes to fruition. But that's just a glimpse at the rejoicing that there will be in eternity. Are we living our lives for right now or for eternity? But we miss out when we have a human mindset. We are the ones at a loss when we are indifferent to the work and will of God around us, when we fail to see, open our eyes, when we fail to participate in God's great harvest of souls. So this lesson of the harvest is set in the midst of a story about this woman at the well. In verse 28, the woman responds to what Jesus taught her by leaving her water pot, and bearing the message of Jesus to the people of her town. Come and see, she says. In the meantime, the disciples needed some refocusing on what is truly important in life. Jesus' lesson is followed in verses 39 and following by the actual harvesting of the ripe fruit. Many believed, it says. And I love what they proclaim there as they rejoice and, and, and tell the woman, you know, we didn't believe because of, uh, of your testimony, but we have seen him ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Even Samaritans are loved by God. He is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Believe in him today, friend, if you're here without Christ. If you've not uh, understood his work on the cross for you and his resurrection to, to bring justification, to bring the righteousness of God 
by faith? Have you believed in him? Have you accepted this Savior of the world? Uh, He can be yours today if you'll repent and believe. And for those of us uh, who are believers, the harvest is ripe. How will you and I respond? Will, Will we follow Jesus' simple and obedient example of sowing? Do we need encouragement in our faithful work in God's harvest fields? Just keep going. Keep sticking with it. Keep looking for opportunities, right? There are certain ones, right, that we've been praying for, that we've been trying to find open doors. Uh, Keep being that faithful messenger and allow God to work. Rejoicing will come, and it's worth it in eternity. But do we need to confess our sin of preoccupation, uh, our wrong priorities, our indifference to what God wants to do in the world? God promises that if we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, I trust that you'll find hope in your Savior today and encouragement to be a part uh, of what he is doing in the world. The Lord of the harvest is at work. Will you join him? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this text and the importance of it. We don't We do well not to be too critical of the disciples, Lord, because they are human and we are like them. And you are merciful to teach us your heart, to reveal to us the the work that you are about in the world. Lord, we we will have necessary things uh, that we have to give our hearts and minds to, so many of them. And those are not wrong. We, We know that you... You see that, you understand that, that you've called us to be good stewards of, of our time and our money and our, our physical uh, life. So give us wisdom as we, as we balance those things. But Lord, I pray that in the midst of our duties, in the midst of uh, our routine, that we would be able to say daily, Lord, help my, my heart and mind to be consumed with the will of the Father today. Lord, make it that which brings us the most joy and satisfaction to do your will. And then, Lord, just help us to open our eyes to the will of the Father to to bring people to you. Uh, And uh, help us, Lord, to to be a a part of this harvest. Lord, the needs are great around the world, and we just, uh, we call out to you asking that you, as the Lord of the harvest, would send more laborers uh, to reach this world for Christ. And we'll glorify you, we'll honor you. Thank you for uh, the cross. Thank you for the work of Christ for us and that we can have a relationship with you through him. Bless us this day as we continue worshiping and fellowshipping and do the work that you want to do in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.